Welcome, 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 welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. My name is Jeremy Rushing. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, whether this is episode number one for you or you have now listened to all 10 episodes of 10,000 Pitches. I cannot thank you enough for continuing to tune in and giving us a chance to be part of your, uh, you know, your weekly podcast queue. Cause I know, I mean, you got a ton of options when it comes to podcasts out there. So I appreciate you giving us a listen. Um, if you are a, an avid listener or you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already subscribing, having more subscribers actually helps our placement on these platforms as does the amount of ratings and reviews we have. So if the podcast platform that you listen on or you prefer to listen on, has a rating and review option, uh, go ahead and leave us one of those as well. And as always, I ask that you make sure that rating and review you leave is, is legitimately how you feel about the podcast. Don't just throw us a five-star rating because, because you think you just should. Uh, if you think this is a five-star podcast, let us know. If you think it's a four, three, two, one-star podcast, I want that actual constructive feedback from you guys. It's the only way that we continue to improve this podcast and make it better for not only you, but everyone else who's listening as well. Um, today, big, big guest on the show, Forward Madison begins their USL League One season this weekend on Sunday against North Texas SC. And uh, I brought along their co-founder and COO, Connor Kaloya, to talk a little bit about the season, what the COVID situation's been like for them with the postponement. And also we're talking about those awesome, awesome kits that Forward Madison uh, seems to drop every single year. So a uh, great conversation with him coming up a little later on in the show. But first, obviously, we got to talk about Minnesota United a little bit. We haven't done a post-game podcast since match day one. Uh, match day two was pretty late. I honestly fell asleep during the match, so we didn't do a post-game podcast for that. And then uh, Thursday night, I was on the E Pluribus Lunum pregame and postgame shows uh, on Periscope. So uh, this will kind of serve as also the post-game podcast for the 2-2 draw that saw Minnesota United uh, round out the group stage in second place, and they will advance to the knockouts. They drew 2-2 with Colorado to round out that group stage, ending with five points. They get two wins, or excuse me, one win and two draws to get that five points, and again, that was good enough for second. So they will advance. Problem is, they're going to take on the Columbus Crew, who far and away have been the best team in the MLS's back tournament so far. We'll get to more on the Crew in just a second, but just recapping last night's match, a rare defensive miscue in the first half. Uh, a counterattack from Colorado left Minnesota just completely out of whack defensively. Uh, had four guys around the ball, nobody marking Kai Kamara, and as he has shown in his MLS career, if you don't mark Kai Kamara, he's going to make you pay, and it was a relatively easy goal for Kamara to open up the scoring and give Colorado a 1-0 lead. Um, to Minnesota United's credit, though, they, they weathered that storm, and they dominated the latter portions of that first half, which led to two Ethan Finley goals, and the second one coming off an amazing build-up play. Go back and watch this video from start to finish, if you can, of this build-up play, because it starts with Ozzy Alonso patiently methodically bringing the ball up the field he doesn't panic he doesn't think he just has to move the ball nobody's nobody's coming at him so he's just advancing the ball up the field and as soon as a defender commits he gets it to Roman Montaner who does a little uh interplay with Jan Gregus the overlapping play from Montaner in, in my opinion it's the best portion of his game 
because his ability to not only defend well, but also be a main part of the attack through his overlapping play with Ethan Finley is, is something that is a, is a huge reason why Minnesota United was so successful last year, but also a main reason why they've been so successful this year as well. Offensively scoring goals is the play of Roman Montaner in the attacking third. And he does that here. And Grey Goosh just sends in a beautiful through ball to Metanere who taps it over to Ethan Finley, who just redirects it in the goal. It was just from start to finish, a pristine chef's kiss type of buildup play for Minnesota United that led to that goal, which gave them a 2-1 lead. Uh, so they're up at the break 2-1. Everybody's feeling pretty good. This is where Minnesota United should be playing a depleted Colorado Rapids team. You think three points when you head into the game, and you definitely think three points when you have a 2-1 lead at half. But in the second half, Colorado begins to make substitutions. They bring on Jonathan Lewis. And the early portion of the second half was all, I mean all Colorado. And the substitutions made a huge difference. You could tell Jonathan Lewis being one of them. I, I don't know why he's not starting for Colorado. I don't know what more they need to see from him to get him in the starting 11. But anyways, uh, Robin Lode, he makes an unnecessary challenge uh, to set – Colorado up just outside the box for a free kick and there was a deflection off the free kick ends up right at the feet of Jonathan Lewis who just sends a rocket in traffic uh, past Tyler Miller for the goal nothing Tyler Miller could have done with that either it was just he was blinded by the traffic in front it was an absolute scorcher of a kick and uh, that leveled the match and eventually confirmed the draw it was no Kevin Molina so the Loons went with a 4-3-3, keeping Lude out wide on the left, as they would in the 4-2-3-1. The problem with the 4-3-3 is it further plays away from Lude's strengths. You know, Lude sometimes seems invisible and sometimes seems uh, not impactful in the game on the left side because he's further away from the goal. Uh, but at least in the 4-2-3-1, there's a lot of free-flowing play where he can, he can cross in and get to the middle of the field where he's more effective. And the 4-3-3, yes, that can happen, but it's not as organic as it is in the 4-2-3-1. So he's pushed further out wide and pushed further away from the goal in the 4-3-3. Uh, and so he did not have a very good performance last night. I thought after RSL, that second half, which saw him at the 10, that we might actually see Robin Lode starting at the 10 against Colorado because of the absence of Kevin Molino. That's what I would have done if I was Adrian Heath. I would have went with the traditional 4-2-3-1. You bring in Raheem Edwards as your left winger, and you move Lode to the 10. Uh, Lode at the 10 with Thomas Chacon at the wing uh, seemed to be a very comfortable spot for Lode, even more so than, uh, than we've seen him in the past in that second half of the RSL game. The second half of the RSL game is some of the best football I've seen Robin Lode play in a Minnesota United uniform. He just seemed more seemed more organic for his style. He seemed more comfortable. So I thought that's maybe where Adrian Heath would turn with the absence of Kevin Molino, but he did not do that. He switched to the 4-3-3, keeping Lude out wide, and it really he was not a factor in, in the match. If anything, the, the challenge that led to the goal, he was, he was a reverse factor, if you want to say that, a negative factor for Minnesota United. I don't necessarily think him being a consistent non-factor is his fault, though. Because when you look at Lode's style and where he is shown to be more impactful, it's in the middle. It's when he's closer to goal. 
But if you're going to keep him out wide, if you're Adrian Heath, why is he even on this roster? You're not playing to his strengths. He is not making a really uh, overall a positive impact on the club when he's starting in that, in that position. So to me, if you're Minnesota United, there are two things you can do with Adrian or excuse me, with Robin load, you can either move him away from the wing and make him your backup tense, Kevin Molino. But if you're bringing Emmanuel Reynoso, then there's even more of a log jam. And there really is no reason at that point to even keep Robin load. So either move load to the 10, maybe you don't bring in Reynoso. Maybe, maybe that doesn't happen. There seems to be every, every day there seems to be information that, that swings the pendulum one way or another. I've said it before. I will say it again. I will continue to say it until I see somebody from Minnesota report it or until I see a press release. I do not believe one bit that we are going to see Emmanuel Reynoso in a Minnesota United uniform. I've been teased before. I will not be teased again. I'll believe it when I see it. So until I see it, I'm operating under the assumption that Emmanuel Reynoso will not be a member of Minnesota United this year. So operating under that assumption, you can either move load to the backup 10 spot behind Kevin Molino. I think that would be a really solid option off the bench. Kevin Molino's not getting any younger. He's not somebody that I see consistently playing a full 90 minutes. So having a guy like Lewitt off the bench who is comfortable in the 10 spot, he plays there in the Finnish national team, like, like that's his spot, right? So to have him off the bench in a, in a super sub scenario, I don't care how much you're paying him. I don't care what you brought him in to be. That's where he is going to be the best fit for this team. So that's where you need to put him if you plan on keeping him in a Minnesota United uniform. If you don't want to move him to the backup 10, you either loan or sell him. Plain and simple. He does not fit where he is played right now. So if the plan is to keep him playing where he's at, there is no sense in keeping him. And that's where I'm going to end my, my discussion on Robin Lode. I think he is an excellent player. I think he could be a huge asset to this Minnesota United team, just not where he is being played right now. So that's, quite, that's like questionable lineup, continual questionable lineup selection from Adrian Heath, right? Uh, more questionable uh, decisions from Adrian Heath last night came in the way of his substitutions. You're in the third group stage match where you really, you, you have something to lose because drawing ended up putting you in a position where you're playing the Columbus crew. But there's, when, you're, when you're already level, there's nothing to lose in terms of bringing guys on and, and trying to go for the win, right? Because you either go for the win and you win the group and you avoid the Columbus crew, or you go for the win, you give up a couple goals, and you end up finishing third in the group, and you avoid the Columbus crew. So there really was, uh, there was no reason not to go balls to the wall there and try to get the game winner by bringing on subs and fresh legs. Fresh legs have proven to be a huge deciding factor in matches in this tournament, specifically because of the humidity and players are getting fatigued more. They're not at their most fit right now. So just having it, you know, obviously you want to bring quality guys off the bench, but just having fresh legs in general has, has really been a huge boost to these teams. We saw that early in the second half with Colorado and the way they played and Jonathan Lewis coming off the bench and right away scoring that goal. I don't know why you wait till the 77th minute to bring on Aaron Schoenfeld. And I don't know why in the hell you wait until the 86th minute to bring on Raheem Edwards and Marlon Hairston. 
86th minute. What is the point of even bringing those two on if you're going to wait until the 86th minute to do so? It makes no sense. Raheem Edwards should be getting 35, 40 minutes a match. He is that kind of impact sub for Minnesota United. You know, maybe Aaron Schoenfeld is your first choice, but Raheem Edwards better not be too far behind. And it needs to happen earlier. It needs to happen 55th minute. It needs to happen 60th minute. It needs to happen to give Edwards enough time to actually impact the game. Because when you bring him in in the 86th minute, you're giving him two attacking possessions, basically. Maybe three if you're lucky. How many goals per possession do even the best MLS teams get? I don't know the answer to that question. I know it's definitely not one and three. So you need to bring these guys on earlier. Get fresh legs on the field earlier. Get that advantage earlier to give yourself the best chance. Raheem Edwards is, could be a humongous impact player for Minnesota United. He has shown to be that already. He needs to be coming on earlier. Aaron Schoenfeld, being a tall attacker with MLS experience, is a perfect guy to be on the recipient of Jan Gregus crosses. He needs to be on the field earlier to be able to make more of that impact and be involved in more set pieces. Why are we waiting so long to bring these guys on? It makes no sense. I, I think Adrian Heath is a fantastic coach. I think the way that he manages the game from a tactical standpoint is pretty on point. But the substitutions are head-scratching, to say the least. Not necessarily the substitutions themselves. You know, choosing Aaron Schoenfeld, Raheem Edwards, and Marlon Hairston makes all the sense in the world as guys to bring on, especially in a draw, especially when you're in a situation where you're looking to draw in the face. But why wait so long? Adrian Heath said in an interview he didn't want to disrupt the flow of the game. The flow of the game was not going in Minnesota United's direction. Colorado completely dominated the early portion of the second half. So, yes, you did need to disrupt the flow of the game because you needed to turn the tide in your favor because it definitely was not. So I'm not it – just it's, it's head-scratching. It's mind-boggling. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But the Loons do advance. They advance to the knockout stage. One win, two draws, five points, second place in the group. Now they get the Columbus crew in the round of 16. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock Central. No more late games, at least for the round of 16, thank goodness. Um, but the crew have far and away been the best team in this tournament. From offensively with Giassi Zardes, Lucas Zellerayan, Younes Mokhtar, they've been outstanding in attack but they also have three clean sheets. They have outscored their group opponents a combined 7-0 in route to those three wins. They got nine points in group stage. They won all three of their matches and didn't give up a single goal doing it. It's, this is the exact opposite of what we saw from Atlanta United, who scored no, goal, no goals and won zero matches. Um, but that three-headed monster up front, Zarda, Zellerayan, and Mokhtar, I mean, that's just borderline unstoppable in the attacking third. It's scary what they've been able to do and the potential they have, not only in the MLS's back tournament, but moving forward uh, for any MLS season that happens thereafter. 
Zardes, three goals. Zellerayan and Mokhtar, two goals each through, these, through, the, through the group stage. And we haven't even mentioned guys like Darlington Nagby. He is super crucial to this Columbus team with his service. Uh, he's like the young Gregus of, of the Columbus crew, if, if you're not familiar with Nagby or the crew. Um, defensively, like I said, three clean sheets. Jonathan Menza, as Eli Hoff alluded to on the E Pluribus postgame show, he is going to be an issue for Luis Samaria or whoever's up top for Minnesota United. And the Loons are going to have an extremely tough time breaking down this crew defense. If you're Minnesota United, you cannot give up more than one goal to the crew. If you give up more than one goal, to, you're not scoring two. If you give up more than one goal, uh, at least in 90, you're not scoring two in 90 against the crew. So if you give up more than one goal, you're, you're losing in regulation. If you give up one, you're hoping for 1-1 one, one heading into extra time and anything can happen from there, obviously. But offensively, in order to break down that crew defense, they're going to have to sustain possession, Minnesota United. They're actually going to they're going to have to do what they've done in this tournament. They've done a much better job in this tournament and so far this season in possession than in the past. If you recall through their first three MLS seasons, even last year when they were super successful for the most part, they were getting out-possessed pretty lopsidedly. And we're talking like 62-38 possession, not in their favor. But this year, they have really turned that tide. Uh, they own the possession against Real Salt Lake. They had stretches against Colorado where they own the possession. They're going to have to sustain possession and sustain consistent possession through the entire match against Columbus uh, if, if they're going to want to have a chance to break down that defense. Um, and they're going to have to create solid, obviously create solid goal scoring opportunities too. It's going to take methodical build up play. Like we saw in the second goal, uh, Ethan Finley's second goal in the first half, it's going to take set pieces. Most importantly, it's going to take set pieces. Minnesota United is so deadly off free kicks and corner kicks. They are going to need to generate as many of those as humanly possible. If they want to beat Columbus, it's not going to be like Chicago fire. Thursday against Vancouver, but they had a billion corners and didn't score off one of them. Like Minnesota United takes advantage of their set piece opportunities. It's just a matter of generating them. They need to generate set piece opportunities. The more of those they generate, the more successful they will be, the better chance they have to win. I'm not going to give a score prediction right now. Um, cause if I were, it would be in favor of the crew. Um, you know, if, if I'm betting right now, I'm probably betting on the crew. Uh, but Minnesota United has shown to be one of those teams that, that can win in those matches they're not supposed to. They can get results in those matches they're not supposed to. They've shown that in the U.S. Open Cup last year, and this is going to be kind of the same scenario to see if they can continue that tournament-type success into these knockout rounds. Because if we're being realistic, this is probably a game they shouldn't win. Minnesota United should not be the Columbus group. Minnesota United, the Minnesota United we have seen in the first three group stage matches of this tournament should not beat the team that has far and away been the best team in this tournament. But that doesn't mean they can't. So we'll just have to wait and see. Tuesday, 7 o'clock. I think it's ESPN. I haven't checked. I don't know if it's ESPN or FS1. I'm pretty sure it's ESPN. Uh, moving on to lower league news. Minneapolis City has unveiled the four teams that will be involved in their futures league. Um, so 
my conversation with Adam Pribble back in episode seven, really, he really did a good job of outlining what this futures program is going to look like. It's not going to be one futures team that is competing against other academies. It's going to be one all-encompassing academy league under the Minnesota, or in Minnesota, under the Minneapolis city umbrella. So if you want to hear more about that, if you want to get some context, go back to episode seven and check out my conversation with uh, Crow's technical director, Adam Pribble. But there are four teams that are at least going to be involved in the first season of the Futures League. Got the Northeast Wanderers, the East Bank Rovers, which may switch names to the Riverside Rovers because some West Bankers were not happy at the East Bank name and the, the, the colors and the inspiration they got was actually from the West Bank. So it's, it's probably going to be the Riverside Rovers. Uh, moving forward they haven't officially made that switch yet but it's been a pretty uh they did a poll and it was a pretty lopsided result in the riverside rovers uh favor so that'll probably happen uh powderhorn afc and the near north are the two teams that round out the futures league for minneapolis city um in that conversation i had with adam Rimble back in episode seven uh he said that they plan to fully launch this and get it started in november and the official website for the Futures League says that there will be a 2020-2021 season. So obviously that would start here in 2020. So we'll see what that looks like moving forward. But we do have the four teams. The four kits for – for the, the kits for each team, I should say, are available for pre-order. And 50% of the proceeds that they get from the kits are actually going to go right back into Futures League scholarships. So that way some kids can actually join the Futures League, join this developmental program – uh, but not have to pay, which is crucial. Scholarships are crucial in terms of getting some of these some of these kids in here. So, fifty uh, percent of those proceeds from the kits are going to go to right back into the scholarship fund. And these kits are awesome. If I haven't already spent an arm and a leg on Minneapolis City merch, I would definitely buy one of these kits. You can check out all four of them on Twitter at MPLSCitySC. We have retweeted it on the 10K account uh, numerous times. So you can check those out there too. Uh, but again, the kits look awesome. If you want to buy one, you're going to be helping out the futures program overall uh, in the process too, by contributing to those scholarship funds. Moving out of the field though, in local soccer, the goals, Minnesota cup between local UPSL clubs continues its group stage. We haven't really gotten one hub for all the information from the goals, Minnesota cup. So I don't know how the, how the tables are looking, how the group points are looking or anything like that, but that will go until early August. Again, it's a group stage. And then there will be a semifinals and a final. And basically, it just encompasses all the local uh, clubs from the UPSL that aren't able to compete in an actual UPSL season. Uh, the MASL season's heating up with Fire SC and FC Minnesota leading Division One on 10 points each through four matches. The regular season runs through August 9th. And then Eau Claire sits at the top of the WPASL in the latest standings on nine points. Uh, there are four matches in as well. Lobos and Barron are in second right now with seven points each, and that runs through mid-August too. Uh, more action, all three of those competitions continues this weekend. So there is some local soccer to go check out. Maple Grove, uh, a couple of other places. You can just go to the, you know, Goals Minnesota Cup, MASL, WPASL, just, just search those or go to those websites and you can get all the, the information there. That is it for kind of talking about local lower league soccer and what's happening with Minnesota United. And now it's time for my interview with Forward Madison co-founder and COO, Connor Kaloya. Hope you enjoy it. Forward Madison kick off their shortened 16-game USL League One season on Saturday at North Texas SC. And joining me now is the Flamingos co-founder and COO, Connor Kaloya. Connor, 
Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I can only imagine uh, how busy this time is for you. So I really appreciate it. What has the last you know, few weeks been like for you? It's obviously been busy throughout the pandemic, uh, but since Monday, uh, now that we're in match week, uh, just the, the, the tempo, the, the, the kind of hectic nature of what we do is really, uh, really changed and it's really picked up and it's fun. That's what we live for. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're kind of drinking out of the fire hose as we adjust <laughs> these new protocols. We, uh, we, we get ready for our first trip to, uh, to Dallas and then uh, prepare for a home game 10 days from now. That's a lot to handle in, in a short amount of time. So, uh, like I said, uh, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to talk with me this week on the podcast. So, getting into kind of your, your your personal background here, you have a lot of background working in sports, from your work with the Madison Mallards to uh, the local independent baseball team there in Madison as well. But from what I read, at least, this is your kind of first venture into soccer with Forward mm-hmm. Madison. So, do you have a personal background with soccer, and how did you get involved with this club? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I've uh, been fortunate in my entire career to, to work in sports, um, primarily in summer collegiate baseball, um, and, uh, but also uh, a little bit in college athletics at the Western Athletic Conference. And, and um, you know, prior to, to forward, I, I didn't have uh, much of a professional uh, background in soccer and really our progression, how it kind of came together. Um, our group started with the Mallards, and over the last 10 years or so, we've, we've either acquired or started three other summer collegiate baseball teams. So uh, we, we, we currently run three baseball teams across the state. Um, and as my business partners and I founded these teams or started these teams, we wanted to continue to grow our business, so we wanted to diversify a little bit. About five years ago, we took over Bree Stevens Field, which is a great historic uh, stadium originally built in 1926, just nine blocks from the state capitol in the city of Madison. And we were doing concerts and events, but we knew that that facility needed a, what we would call like an acre tenant. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really when our business interest kind of started in soccer. I'd say yeah, roughly about five years ago. And I was, I was a casual fan, of, you know, before that. And then once I started doing some research and got into it, um, I, I got hooked. And it, it's, uh, it, it's been a blast uh, ever since. And uh, so we have forward. We've got another team uh, in USL League 2 in Green Bay. Um, and, and our hope is to continue to, uh, to do more soccer across the state and, and potentially beyond, um, you know, once we kind of get through this current situation. Yeah, I mean, before Forward Madison launched, there were no real professional soccer clubs in the state of Wisconsin. And Wisconsin was the largest state behind Michigan to not have a professional soccer club. So was that kind of a driving factor in kind of seeing uh, an opening there, seeing a need? For yeah, Wisconsin was underserved when it, when it came to spectator soccer, and uh, there was a void. And uh, we, we kind of have a statewide plan to grow spectator soccer across the state, but there's absolutely a void. And you know, as we, as we did our research and kind of looked into it, the demographics of Madison are perfect for soccer. Uh, and um, you know, I, I think um, there's been uh, some markets where maybe soccer isn't the perfect fit or, or, or soccer. I don't want to say it's been forced on that market, but, but the demographics of Madison, the desire was there uh, to have pro soccer. And so we, we've just been fortunate uh, the way the community has embraced it. And, um, you know, we, we think we're just kind of getting started here. We're, we're only in our, I guess, short and second season here in Madison. But, uh, but, but we think there's a lot more we can be doing in the community and, and doing uh, for soccer in Madison and beyond. Last season was your first. How did that go compared to your expectations coming in? 
generally, I think it um, it exceeded expectations. I mean, on field, obviously, we would have liked to have gotten a little further, but we did make the playoffs. I think, you know, anytime it was a new team, 10 leagues, you had no idea really what to expect. And uh, I think an amazing, uh, I don't know if I'd say accomplishment, but one of, the, one of the things that surprised me the most about League One in the first year is just the parity. Um, you know, you had 10 new teams, essentially. Nobody knew what the talent level was going to be, and it was amazingly uh, even uh, across the team. So on the field, you know, we didn't get to a championship, but we, we did make the playoffs, which was a good start. Off the field, I think our attendance was about what we hoped or expected. It wasn't, you know, maybe we had ambitious goals, but that's what we hoped for it to be. Mm-hmm. I think the buzz in the way that the, uh, the community connected with the brand, and just the impact uh, we had in the community in a short time, that, that, that's way beyond what we ever expected. It, that, that blew us away. And then I think the other thing that far exceeded our expectations was, was our merchandise sales. The fact that in our first year, we uh, shipped to 50 states, 10 countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we didn't see that coming. I mean, we, we knew we had a fun logo. We knew it was unique. We knew we took a risk with it. But we, we just didn't see that coming. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the first year was great. We were super excited for for. For the second year, we're still excited in, in, uh, in this kind of ever-changing time. Um, but uh, but we, we just, you know, we want to get through this year, do our best. Uh, but we're really hopeful that eventually in 2021, things kind of, for lack of a better term, get back to normal. We're back at Bree mm-hmm. Stevens Field, and, and we can do what we, what we enjoy to do the most. Yeah, that buzz that you talked about, I, th- I think that stretched all the way over here to the Twin Cities. You know, people might say, you know, you're a Minnesota soccer podcast. Why are you talking about Forward Madison? But Forward Madison is definitely ingrained in the soccer community here in Minnesota, too. Uh, a lot of that having to do with your, your partnership that you had with Minnesota United last season. Guys like Mason Toy, Wyatt Olmsberg, Abu Donladi playing for the, for the Flamingos, you know, to help further development, get minutes on the pitch, things like that. What was that partnership like with the Loons, and how was it working with those players specifically? Yeah, you know, it was, it was a new club, trying, you know, an expansion club trying to get started. Uh, we're, we'll be forever grateful and thankful uh, to Minnesota United for taking a chance on us, being willing, willing to partner with us, and, and uh, you know, have an affiliation where they provided some players. And while there was a little inconsistency back and forth with, with a handful of the players, uh, when their guys were down with us, they were always in the starting 11. They're always some of our better players. And it was it was a great, great relationship and great partnership. So we're, we're thankful for that, you know, and, and it really helped us get launched. And, uh, and it's great to see, uh, you know, the Loons had a great season last year. It's great to see the growth of that franchise overall and the success that they're having and the way that the community there has embraced them. I uh, knew you guys have transitioned your MLS partnerships this season with the Chicago Fire. Obviously, COVID implications have kind of impacted that a little bit. Has there been any differences from working with Minnesota United and Chicago? Uh, you know, what has that been like trying to stretch your kind of influence into that market now, too? Yeah, you know, um, geographically, it's, it's quite a bit more convenient. It's about half the distance uh, from Chicago to, to Minnesota. So that has... Um, allowed for a little more flexibility um, than the, uh, the the United partnership did, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, COVID has challenged things, but we we do have three players in our camp now from the fire, and um, you know, hope to to expand that over time. And um, so far, it's been a, a great working relationship. Uh, as I mentioned, the, the proximity is is allowed it to uh, to be a little more fluid, uh, just because we're a couple hours away, and it's it's been a great start. 
Now, speaking of COVID, the season was postponed before it even got started, um, unlike the USL Championship, unlike MLS, unlike a lot of other leagues. Um, I guess, take us through that process of the postponement. How likely was it that the season was going to get canceled completely? And, you know, that path to now where the restart is coming up this weekend. Yeah. how much time we got here, Jeremy? You got like three days to go walk you through all this stuff? No, I mean, um, I'll, I'll give you kind of the cliff notes. It seems yes, like it was, I think, I, I, I stopped counting, but I think it's like 128 days or something yeah, since the world stopped. I mean, that, that's essentially when the NBA did what they did. That, that's kind of when the world stopped, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, um, you know, I think when the NBA did what they did, the USL did a nice job of, of acting quickly. Um, acting quickly but at the same time methodically they didn't just you know throw something out i mean we, we had a board call uh the decision was made to to kind of uh temporarily suspend the season and and so um from that time we we, we kind of just monitored the situation you know canceling the, the usl league season league one season was never a serious consideration i mean when we looked at potential options that was always an option um, in, in the list of options, yeah. it was always on the list, but it was never something that was like serious. That, that, that there was any serious discussion on amongst the board of governors. Uh, the two focuses were a normal resumption of the season, or potentially a pod concept like what you're seeing um, at the MLS. And just given uh, the proximity of our teams and, and the finances of our teams, in the way that uh, they're financially structured, that the pod model um, proved to be. Uh, you know, not feasible for, for our, our group. And so um, we just monitored the situation throughout. There was regular calls, regular communication. I think there was probably a two-month period where I wouldn't say we were sitting on our hands, but we kind of knew, you know, mm-hmm. things weren't exactly around the corner. And, and, and I'd say about five weeks ago is when I think that about five weeks or so is when the league voted to return to play. Um, and since that vote, there's been weekly conversation just to make sure that continues to be the right se- right, right decision. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we have shortened from uh, what was going to be a 20-game season to a 16-game season. Um, a little additional focus on player safety and, and also, um, you know, making sure that the, the season uh, in the shortened schedule, we're just not playing too many games. So um, we, we think we're in a good spot now. The, the league has a a robust testing protocol. The guys are in a covered group. They're, I haven't seen our technical staff or our coaches in over three weeks. Once they went into the testing protocol, we have we're totally isolated from us. Um, and, uh, you, you know, so far, I, I'm pleased with the way that it's working. Um, I think it'll, the, the, the protocol and the program will start getting tested this week as we travel. Um, but uh, we'll kind of be curious to see how it plays out. But, uh, but we, we think we are... Um, ready to resume you know the players voted to resume the clubs voted to resume the league wanted us to play so here we are and uh, we're going to do our best come saturday you talked about your conversations with the league regarding what the league was going to do you guys geographically are, are a bit on, on, on an island compared to some of the other teams in league one did you ever have you know with every conversation you had with the league was there also maybe or at least at some point a secondary conversation of okay here's what the league is going to do but what do we want to do as a team? Was there ever a consideration that you guys might, you know, take a, take a different approach in terms of what you guys were going to do? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're alluding to is like, did we ever consider stepping out this year or not playing or, 
you listen, um, we're based in Madison, uh, but the current uh, regulations in Madison do not allow us to practice in Madison. Uh, we can't do contact practice, nor can we even do closed door games. So um, our guys are traveling one hour north to, to the Wisconsin Dells to train every day. Uh, and then when it comes time to actually hosting games, our home games are going to be 75 miles from here. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a pretty burdensome and challenging uh, mix to, to, to get back to playing soccer. Does, it, does this make sense for us to be doing it? I, I don't know that it makes sense, but we have an obligation to the league. We're a member of a 12-team league. Uh, we have an obligation. We made a commitment. Um, we've signed a commitment. We've agreed to a commitment. And in our conversations with the league, they wanted to be as accommodating, accommodating as they could be to, to, to make sure that we're continuing to play. Um, but, um, you know, us not playing um, was never a serious uh, consideration. As we talked to our supporters group, uh, they, they wanted us to, to play this year in some form or fashion. That, that was their hope that we would get back on the field. And, you know, a couple of years ago when we signed the papers to make a commitment to the league, that's the commitment we made and we're going to fulfill that commitment. So, yes, it's uh, we've truly become Wisconsin's team stretching from the Dallas to Madison to, to Wauwatosa and the Milwaukee area. But it, it is going to be challenging for our guys this year and for our operational staff. But, uh, but, but that's what we're going to do. Uh, we made a commitment and we're going to fulfill that commitment. And you guys will be moving to from Breeze Stevens Field in Madison to Hart Park in Wauwatosa for your for your home matches this year. And the plan as of now is is to allow fans to attend in some capacity. How did you guys come to that decision specifically, and what will the restrictions be for those who attend a home match? Yeah, so that's a great question. In every market we operate our different businesses in, uh, we work closely with the local health departments. So. We, uh, we put together a, a plan with the city of Wauwatosa Health Department um, to allow for, uh, well, basically to host our matches at, at Hart Park. Hart Park has a normal capacity of 6,000 people. It has a bleacher capacity for 5,000 people. And we won't be seating more than about 1,240 uh, in those bleachers. It's a, it's a socially distanced, significantly reduced capacity between 25 and 30% of what you can normally put in there. It's a massive uh, complex. And so uh, we're confident in, in our plan between socially distanced seating, uh, masks being required at all times, uh, other than when you're in your seat eating or drinking. And then we, we've got enhanced sanitization protocols. We'll go through, we'll sanitize every seat in the entire grandstand pre and post game. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we feel we've got a good plan. I mean, we've tested our plan and our operational plan. Um, in, uh, in a few of our baseball markets where we're doing that with reduced capacity. And so far, it's been going very well. Um, and we're confident in the plan. We're going to test it out on uh, July 31st. And, and uh, if it's not something that's working or safe, we'll make the appropriate adjustments. And we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't approved by the local health department. So if, if we didn't think we could do this safely, uh, we wouldn't be doing it. I know, you know, there's different approaches to having fans in, in the stands across the USL. I would venture to guess or I would hope to guess that we're going to work as hard as we can to create the, the safest environment uh, out of any team in the league or as safe as any team in the league. And, and when you see the venue and see the facility and see how big it is and see how few people we're going to put in there, I think you'll see that if you are a spectator, it'll be comfortable. I mean, let's just be honest about it. The ultimate test for me is what I, I've got a three and a six-year-old. Uh, what would I bring my family there? And if I can't create an environment that I'm not – comfortable bringing my family, then I shouldn't be doing this. And so uh, as of now, I, I think we can create an environment that, that is distanced and safe and, and 
uh, does food and beverage in a way and, and, and totally space out. And if we can't do that, we're not going to do it. Have you made any further adjustments or considered any further adjustments considering some of the uh, the backlash that some of the USL championship sides have received over the last couple of weeks? Like uh, Loose City FC, there were some situations where things did not seem socially distanced, you know, not not masks being worn. Has that impacted your, you know, any adjustments that, that you might have made to your yeah, protocol? Uh, I think the adjustment really for us is education. It was great to see Louisville open a beautiful stadium, but our plan is a, a little more uh, conservative I think from a spectator standpoint than, than what I saw in, in watching that game. And, but for us, it's, the, the major adjustment we're making is education, letting people know that um, if you're going to come to our game, you're going to wear a mask and you're not getting in unless you have a mask on and you're going to wear that mask until you sit in your seat and, and consume your food or beverage. And when you're done, you're going to put your mask back, back on. And, um, you know, it, it really comes down to education. Uh, we have great fans. We, we, we have cooperative fans. We have intelligent fans that have respected um, our, our other uh, wishes at Bree Stevens Field in, in 2019 as far as enjoying a game. And, and we expect our fans to follow those rules when they come to the game. If they don't, then, then um, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to take that privilege away from them. So moving on to the field now, uh, last year made the playoffs in your first USL League One season, pretty big accomplishment. How are those expectations advancing here into 2020 with the shortened schedule? Uh, you know, what, what should Ford Madison fans expect from the product on the field this year? You know, Jeremy, obviously we want to win, right? We were in a 12-team league. There's a, there's a championship game at the end of the year. We want to be there. This probably isn't the right answer to give, but with everything going on and everything being as different, I feel like it's not our place as a club to put additional pressure on, on our guys right now. Yes, we want them to win. Yes, they want to win. I give Daryl Shore and our team an amazing amount of credit. I mean, they're, they're traveling one hour every day, each way, just to practice, uh, just to train. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're going to play in a, a facility that they've never even stepped foot in as their home facility next week. And uh, our um, – you know, we, we have challenging travel as it is being based in Madison and playing in a National League, but, but to have to travel an hour and 15 minutes for a home game uh, is, is not the easiest thing in the world. And these guys, uh, I haven't heard a single complaint. Uh, they're, they're just put their head down. They're doing their work. They're, they're, they're working hard every day, um, and they're just ready to go, and they want to play. And so uh, I've got an amazing amount of uh, – respect and appreciation for Daryl and the club. I think the guys are going to have a great season. I mean, they're, they're, they're mentally tough. They're doing this. They're ready to go. Uh, I think it's going to be a great season for us. Um, but with that being said, we've asked a lot of them and, and all these moving parts. Um, I think soccer will bring normalcy. And I think once they get back on that pitch this weekend, uh, I think it's just going to be a sense of normalcy for them. And, and um, I don't want to say peace, but it's going to kind of just, I think it's going to be a calming moment for them. Yeah. Like, all right. All right, here we are. We're doing this. Let's do what we were kind of born to do, and let's go. Uh, so, full disclosure, we're recording this on Thursday morning, and uh, single game tickets go on sale in what five minutes, Connor? Yeah, four, yeah, yeah, four and a half minutes. Uh, but I, you know, my, my phone isn't blowing up, so I think I think the guys got it. We got a good team. I think. They've okay. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying. If, if we if we need, they're not paying attention. One of the two. Uh, if it seems like the interview abruptly ends or Connor's a little bit distracted, you got to forgive him. This is a big, big, uh, big few minutes here. But yeah. uh, again, just why I so much appreciate the time. Couple last last questions, and I can get you back to your uh, busy, busy day here, Connor. Um, sure. We got to talk about the kids. 
I think Ford Madison is widely regarded not only here in the area, but nationwide as having some of the best kits in soccer, in American soccer. The drip kit, the one of the more recently released ones, is a huge commodity. I mean, I can only imagine how many orders that you've received for that. But not just that, it's been, it seems like every kit you guys have, have dropped since you became a club has been next level. What has been the inspiration behind, behind those kits? You know, how is the execution of, of getting those together and getting those out to the public? So I would say it really goes back to our, our logo design, um, which would be like 2018, November 18th, I think it was 2018, when we rolled out our logo. That, that, that logo design process took way longer than it should have. It took six months. Um, we had a logo that we didn't quite like that was okay, but it wasn't great. And it was, it, was, it was a good logo, but it wasn't great. So we scrapped that, we redid the whole process. And uh, we ended up with the, the Flamingo logo that was pretty forward on the, on the pink side of things. And I'll be honest, the night before we launched that, I didn't sleep. I thought we were making a mistake. And I was intimately involved in it. But I thought we were just a little too far out there. And um, it was extremely well received uh, uh, when we launched it. And I think that that reception gave us, you know, maybe the confidence or, or, or encouraged us to, to take some risks with our kits and, and push ourselves a bit on, our, on the kits to maybe do stuff that um, American soccer hadn't quite seen before. And so the, the logo went well, and then we rolled out our first set of kits. There were a couple of them were a little far, far out there, and they, they were received well. And now it's like, uh, for lack of a better term, we kind of feel like we're playing with house money, and we're just yeah. we got to keep pushing ourselves. We got to keep we got to keep pushing until somebody tells us not to. And yep. uh, the drip kit's been the, the best uh, or the best selling and, and the, the best received kit that we've done yet. And uh, we're just going to keep having fun, trying to be a little different, and uh, making sure that we're, we're not afraid to take risks uh, when it comes to our kits. And, and that's kind of the the simple. Um, recipe to it and then uh, you know a big part of it is an amazing staff chase egan uh who, who is our merchandise director uh kubo kuba uh, shizo Sinai, who uh, runs all of our brand and then cassie Semniski, who uh, does our design i mean they're really the ones that make it happen but uh but that's kind of the recipe to to, to what we've done so far I think there are some people in Charlotte that wish that their club would have taken a little more time with their logo, but uh, <laughs> you know, no, no, it, no, comment. no comment. Thanks, Jeremy. No it, it worked comment. out. It worked out for you guys, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Last question here, just just really quick. Give us one player yeah. to watch this season for Forward Madison. Oh man, um, well, I'll go with somebody new. I, mean, I think uh, there's two guys. I guess Gustavo Fernandez. I, I, I think uh, he's going to surprise some people. Um, kind of out, out of nowhere, and then um, uh, he won't be with us to start, but, but before the season's over, you, you'll see a, a Minnesota guy, Mike Bang, um, who uh, I think is going to, you know, 19-year-old kid, he's got a bright future ahead of him, we're excited to be kind of his pro start in, in the States, and uh, we're excited to watch him over the next three to five years. Uh, so th those would be two names that I think um, – you know, people might not be expecting to, 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 to play a big role, uh, at least outside of the club. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I think they're going to be two fun guys to watch. You can watch them and the rest of Ford Madison SC take on North Texas in Dallas. The game time, 8 o'clock, Saturday the 25th. And the game will be uh, shown on ESPN+. Plus. 
So if you have ESPN Plus, you know, uh, you can watch it there. If you don't, you can get the free trial and actually watch Forward Madison and not pay a dime to do so on Saturday. So, um, again, 8 o'clock, ESPN Plus, Forward Madison, and North Texas SC, the uh, start of the USL League One season. Connor Kaloya, Forward Madison co-founder and COO, thank you so much again. Again, super busy time for you. So I, I deeply, deeply appreciate you taking about a half hour here to talk to me. Great, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Appreciate uh, you talking soccer and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Connor. Take care. You too.